So you want to uh, jump into this? Uh, Let's do it. We, we got a lot of recording to do. Woo! <laughs> what Save you, it Rick for the Flair? show. Save it for the show. Why are we even talking at all? That is very Save true. Save it for the show, man. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sandman, Don't have nobody to call my own Please turn on your magic beam Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream Back to the bins Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins I'm Paul Spataro and after a long, long break I am finally once again talking to my good friend, Professor Allen. How are you doing today, glad, Professor? Glad to be back on the show, Paul. And uh, without Hero or Bill or Gene, that makes it even better. No, no, I kid. I kid. I kid. I noticed the absence of Scott from that. <laughs> and, you know, look, I'm not going to knock either of the actual two true freaks, okay? Okay, fair enough. Just at least not publicly. <laughs> not publicly. You're not recording this, are you? <laughs> have you been uh, Have you been doing any uh, comic picking up lately? Well, uh, M-, M came over a couple weeks ago and, and helped me with the big every three or four year comics merge and purge and organizing weekend. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was that's always fun and double check. Then you got to double check. I'm an accountant, you know, by by, by background, so I had to then double check what's actually in the inventory with what's you know, on the spreadsheet. You have to right, that makes sense. Update, make sure things are aren't there, are there, etc. Put them in the right spots. And um, I mean, fortunately, generally speaking, I'm not an accumulator of comics. I mean, it's less than three thousand. It's a very manageable collection. I mean, a lot of comics go through my hands every year. From cheap bins and generous listeners and friends, but a lot of those get recycled one way or the other. In some cases, literally into the recycling bin, if their if their condition demands that. Uh, one of the nice things about buying cheap comics is that if they fall apart in your hands and you have to throw them out, mm, that's okay. Not a heartbreak. So I don't see. To me, it, it the whole thing goes against my the every fiber of my being. Uh, <laughs> Because on the one hand, uh, you know, there's a lot of quarter books that are worth buying to read, uh, but I don't really need to own. Right. Uh, But once once I own a comic, sometimes it becomes just so against my nature to want to get rid of it. See, that that, that, at at some point in the last decade or so, I did turn from a – from a collector or accumulator of comics into a reader. You know, I can uh, buy them cheap and I can send them out to friends or donate them or, like I said, literally throw them out if the condition requires that or even trade them in for credit at the local used bookstore sometimes. Just, you know, a lot. But uh, so, like I said, a lot of comics go through my hands 
in the course of a year, but not quite uh, or not very many end up in the you know per- permanent collection, as it were. Yeah, and and I could definitely see that. That's I mean, I can understand it. It's just hard for me. It's hard for me to live it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I obviously that's what you know, library, you know, trades from the library or digital trades. You know, it's 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 that. But it is different. Yes. With, when you have a physical comic and treat it that same way as not something to be treasured and 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 collected. But it's it 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 brings freedom, Paul. You should try it. It brings freedom, my man. I totally get it. It's it's not you know, like I said. You know, there's there's a difference between intellectually intellectually understanding something and actually saying the word intellectually, uh, and emotionally. Yes. And and more often than not, you know that that distinction comes through with relationships and things like that, where you know you understand you're being irrational or whatever it might be. But there is an element to that with the comic collecting or with the collecting mentality. Intellectually, you know, I don't need this book. Intellectually, right. you know, I may <laughs> never look at this book again. Yeah. Intellectually, you know, when I pass away, nobody wants this book. <laughs> but emotionally, it's like I own it and it's here for me to love. <laughs> and it's exactly. Hard. It's hard go. to then turn it away. Uh, but that that is one of the it, it, in interesting things about every four or five years going through the the collection again ours is not so large i mean it's a it's a it's a manageable feat to go through the boxes and you know, flip through every comic we have compared to the list and all that and you look at these and you think, i bought this 30 years ago i may have read it then i'm not sure do i really still need to have it and unfortunately Often the answer is yes. Like I've owned this 30 years. It's been it's it it has been on the Excel spreadsheet since it was a Lotus one two three spreadsheet. That's a shout out to the old people in the in in, in the audience, other otherwise known as the audience. And uh, <laughs> and uh, mm. you know, I've had this book 35 years. I'm not giving it up up, up now. So I I do have that uh, irrational emotional tie to some of those comics too. Yeah, I, I did go through, and I've talked about it on the show before. I, I was probably around ten thousand comics yeah. uh, in my collection, and I guess maybe it's probably close to two years that it's been undergoing, or uh, maybe somewhere around there. I would just guess, uh, but I did a, a great purge mm-hmm. uh, to try and just more, more, more based on just the lack of space to store them, right, uh, and the lack of wanting long boxes as I start creeping into my elder years, uh, not, not wanting to have to lift long boxes, instead wanting mm-hmm. to keep things yeah. in short boxes. Right. Uh, so I, I purged a great number of books, uh, mostly getting rid of everything like, say, post-1986. Uh, right. And not everything from that era, but a lot. I, I only right. kept a handful of things after that time. And I do still retain a handful of them, but yeah, again, that's that's a small minority of it. Right. And I probably cut my collection down to about 6,000. Nice. And in the new house, I have a really nice closet where I keep them. So storage has become... Right, perfect. Perfect. And, and the closet's really the perfect size for what I have. And it still leaves me, because I still do collect mostly, like, you know, 95% silver and bronze, bronze age books. That's it. Right. Not much that I'm going to find in the quarter bin, really. Mm-hmm. Right, Exactly.
I'm happy to find them in the two and three dollar bins usually. Right. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm still not. I'm still not one to splurge on really expensive books, just the same. You know, occasionally, uh, I'm just trying to, to, you know, like think about it. We, I was closing out my collection of the Defenders, and I didn't right. have it. I didn't have a copy of number one, which I used to have, and for some reason I didn't have anymore. Uh, and I couldn't even tell you why I didn't have it anymore. But, you know, I think I spent $15 for that, which right. is still by value, I think, a, a real bargain. Right. Uh, but it is, for me, an extravagant purchase. <laughs> right. Because sure. I'm not quite as married to the quarter bin as you, but I am probably, <laughs> uh, I could probably compete with you on frugality of collecting. Yes. <laughs> well, the nice thing is around here, we've got our, uh, we're recording this a couple weeks before free comic book day. And what my LCS does to sort of make space, the space they use to display the, Free comic books are currently have the, you know, the discount bins on sitting on top of those tables, mm-hmm. which are normally at this point, uh, these days normally dollar books. But in the weeks leading up to free comic book day, uh, last week they were 75 cents and this week they'll be 50 cents. And I imagine next week they'll be three for a dollar or a quarter. And then the week before leading up to free comic book day, they'll be a quarter or a dime depending how, how cheap they go. Is it free and, comic book day or is it Professor Allen day? You know, I really appreciate making a national holiday for this. For yeah, I, well, I guess so I guess kind. there is still reason to go early if you're so inclined, uh, because the books that are truly collectible right. uh, might be gone from the bins by the time they're marked down to a quarter. Right. So that's, but, I guess that's the incentive to go earlier. Uh, I, I did happen to be in the store uh, last week, I guess it was, when they were 75 cents and grabbed a few. But I'm going to wait at this point until they're you know, 25 or a dime or whatever they end up with the, the week before and, and see what I can find. Because at that point, I mean, m- m- one, one of my favorite things is uh, if the either quarter bins or even sometimes they get marked down to a dime uh, there or – in, in, in other places, is flipping through comics for a dime and saying, nope, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. <laughs> because, Paul, I still have standards, okay? The, the, just to, to, to elaborate on that a little, uh, and I, I'm not going to give the circumstances or whatever, but there was a point where I was not taking in books and stories that I wasn't paying for. Mm-hmm. And and I, I said, you know what? There's something wrong with the industry when free is too much to pay. <laughs> yep. Uh, just by way of a teaser, when we're done with this today, we're going to record an episode of the Quarter Bin Podcast. Uh, as is my want, I appear on the Quarter Bin Podcast for all of the uh, anniversary type uh, episodes. And episode 175 is coming up. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I, you know, the, those photos I have of Professor Allen, have him keep, have him let, letting me keep coming back on the show. Uh, and we are going to review a book. I'm not going to give any more information than this, but I'm going to say it fits the definition of what I said of worth having, worth reading, and then probably worth not keeping. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but, but you know, but to me, it, it's almost like the definition of the perfect quarter bin book 
if you don't have that collector's right. you know, I need to keep it mentality. If if you allow books to be disposable. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, to spend to spend a quarter for it for the purposes of reading it, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can't see any problem at all with that. <laughs> uh it's just it's just having to overcome that you know it's like you know you go to throw it out and it's almost like it's glued to your hand you just can't let go <laughs> one thing um... <laughs> and then the other collector's mentality before you get to that is the thought of well i read this one now how many more are in this series how many would i need to complete it <laughs> i i have fallen into that trap but usually not with collecting you, you but usually it it is with in terms of in terms of i need to find this on hoopla or find this at the library or something the the person whose a uh, uh, specialty is that uh, from Twitter is uh, I was Joe Joe Crawford because uh, uh, he will send me books on 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 occasion out of the goodness of his heart and he'll often throw in you know issue one or issue two of a series that he bought and you know either he really really liked them and is going to just get the trades so he stopped getting the the uh, uh, the floppies. Or he just despised them, and and for for whatever reason is not going to keep collecting the series, and he sends them to me. And the good ones, it's like he sent me one comic for free, and because of that, I now have to read four volumes of this because it's so good. (laughs) Fortunately, I don't buy them usually, so that that helps. But it's like the the first taste is free. I think I think Scott is the poster child for that, and and I think you've actually. been his, been been his. Uh, I don't. Know, I can't even think of what you'd call it. Uh, his 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 dealer. Uh, <laughs> that you know, you, you, if you send him something that truly intrigues him, then he starts to feel like he needs all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been on both sides of that equation. <laughs> so, we we uh, for what it's worth, Professor Allen sent me a book to cover. And I decided to make this a theme episode because mm-hmm. themes are cool. Yeah, I'm not sure when you're gonna, uh, you know, release this, Paul. But it, 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 this, uh, these two books do make me think of a nice, warm summer beach. That 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 would be uh, that would be apropos. <laughs> I was gonna say appropriate, but I wanted to be more sophisticated, so it would be apropos. Yes, sir, uh, Mister Mister Paul Spatero, Esquire. <laughs> so uh, as as is the want for a guest you have the choice which book would you like to cover first well since i started this i will go first and um i went true old what i think of as back to the bin style for this choice i went to the two read pile grabbed a handful of them and flipped through kind of using a strategy that i use in the cheap bin sometimes and that is, I flipped open to the uh, to the end of the books, and I was looking for those two magic words, the end. And this one ended with the end. So you wanted so, a complete story. I, I at least wanted the end of a story, yes. I think the last couple of times that you've been on, that has not happened. I think we've done yeah. like the first of a... Uh... Of, of a run or yep. or even a, mi- right. a middle story in a run. I think that, I mean, I, I just think it's, I don't say inappropriate, but it's just, 
it's just not smart. It's not good for someone to bring an issue one to a back to the bins. I don't know what kind of person would do that. Um, I mean, we can talk about that later in the episode. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call that person a monster. But if someone else called them a monster, I might agree. So you'd have a tough time defending him. <laughs> you would need a really good litigator. That's all I'm saying. But but I brought Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Number 22, cover dated October 2000. Now, was this, this purchased for 25 cents? This, I believe, was sent to me. Okay. Or I may have purchased it for 25 or 50 cents. Because I've sort of been on a little bit of a Spider-Man kick. And if I find runs that are at a decent price, I'll pick them up. Um, so I don't remember exactly where that how this one came to be. But uh, I did not spend much for it. I can guarantee you that. And that makes my heart happy. Ah, yes. <laughs> this is Days of Our Lives by Paul Jenkins with art by Mark Buckingham, Dan Green, and Rodney Ramos. The cover kind of shows Sandman's face as the background image. And he is screaming. He is not happy. He's either sad or angry or something. It's, it is not a positive emotion. And, and his face is sort of being blown away. You know, the sand is being blown away from his face. And in front of him, with his back to us, is Spider-Man. We start with a soap opera on the TV. Sandman is spending his dying days watching the show he is literally slowly breaking into pieces meanwhile peter parker is enjoying having the apartment to himself this is the era where peter was living with randy robertson unbeknownst to him randy and glory grant see him singing to himself naked eating ice cream this is the risk of wearing headphones all the time let that be a lesson, podcast listeners. Meanwhile, at an abandoned construction site, Sandman is reciting his last will and testament and recalling how Venom bit a chunk out of his stomach. Dear Mom, I wish that I could see you right now, but I can't. I have been trying to get better, but I don't think it's working. You always say I should eat. When I'm sick, so I have been doing that, but I can't keep anything down. In an attempt to keep himself from falling apart, he tries to eat cement, but after that doesn't work. And all hope seems lost. He vows revenge on Spider-Man. I'm gonna make you pay. Later, Spidey is swinging around until he is punched by Sandman with a cathram. They argue about who's responsible, Spidey or Venom, but those uh, details don't seem to matter much to Sandman. Look at me for Pete's sake. I'm falling apart. We do visit Randy and Glory on a date for a page, and most of what they're talking about is Peter naked, and at least they're having a good evening. 
Sandman, on the other hand, he is not in a good place. And you know, Spidey's popular jokey quips, they're not really working here. You shouldn't do that to people, Spider-Man. It ain't nice. You shouldn't laugh at people. In his ranting at Spider-Man, Sandman makes some quite incorrect assumptions, claiming that Spidey must be popular. You know, high school quarterback, kid of a millionaire, probably never had to do a bit of work his entire life. I bet you never had anything go wrong with you. Oh, the irony. Sandman talks about trying to be good himself, trying to do good. My mom was going to be proud. And he finally falls to bits. And as he does so, he pleads with Spidey to tell my mom I tried, okay? And with that, Sandman ends the fight and sinks away into a sewer drain. But the cops arrive on the scene, so Spidey has to flee before he can think too much about Sandman and his fate. And then on the last two pages, we join a couple heading to a small hidden beach. And there's more sand there, better sand, than they remembered last time they came. And as the panel zooms out, Sandman's face can be seen on the beach. And then we get the two magic words, the end. I don't know about you, Paul, but I thought that was kind of a weird story. Yeah, it was weird, but I found it to be entertaining. I oh, found yes. it to have some some poignancy. Yes. Uh, not so much in the Sandman falling apart aspect of it, because you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's designed to have him regain his uh, cohesion, sure. especially with that last panel. Uh, so you know, he's not gone forever. So there's no, oh my God, this poor guy, blah blah blah. But just to see like the way his mind works, mm -hmm. I, I think that's that's the area where this this issue rises above. Uh, it would almost be even more poignant if it happened in the social media era. Because this was in 2000, so oh, right. just, just slightly before then. And I, I've often talked about how people oversimplify other people's lives on social media. And they see, mm. oh, look, they're on vacation. Oh, look, their kid is uh, an honor student. Their life must be so perfect. My life sucks in comparison. Right. Oh, woe is me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that that's often a byproduct of social media. I think social media has inspired more depression than anything else, to be quite yeah. honest with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, this would even have more weight to it if that was the case. But I guess it's always been the case to some event. You know, it's the expression, the grass is always greener. He's, he's looking at Spider-Man's life right. and think, thinking that he has it easy. Uh, meanwhile, you know, he doesn't have it easy. He just has the inner strength right. to overcome all the, things that, right. that have occurred to him. And I think that gives this book some weight to it. You know, where, where it could be just a light and fluffy, nothing story. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you do sometimes get sad bits in stories. I, I don't know that you often get sort of flat out sad or maybe, you know, poignant. Your word is probably better. I mean, you do get a lot of emotions in comics, thrills and humor, fear, adventure, romance, this one really was going for that flat-out 
sad, um, which is probably why the humor scene of Peter being naked was important, you know, to have a little uh, levity. You know, you, you, you need a break from Sandman's narration of his impending death or as, as he sees it, uh, impending death. Um, right. Yeah, I, what he thinks is going to be his death, and that gives it a certain credibility because you know he mm-hmm. thinks it. And I'm not sure the last page of him on the beach. I mean, as you said, he did. He you know, was able to reconstitute, but I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be funny or ironic. I'm, I'm not sure what the last page was was really going for. I mean, there, you know, this this uh, this couple is you know you know going to you know, pound a, 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 a beach umbrella and set up a couple chairs or, or towels on top of on top of Sandman. I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure what that was going for. I think we're going for two twofold. I think we're going for funny, uh, yeah. because we have, you know, the obviously, you know, big guy with his wife. Right. And and he's clearly, you know, uh to use the scientific term, he's whipped. You know, she's she's just uh, saying, you know, let's do this. She goes on and on, and his his word balloons are, I know, yes, dear, yes, dear. Uh, And he's carrying, you know, a ton of shit while she's just, you know, walking on her own. You know, he's carrying two two lounge chairs plus like a cooler and 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 uh, I don't even know if there was something else there. Yeah, there is something else. I don't even know what it is. (laughs) So I think we're going for some humor there. I think the image inspires a little humor just seeing the way they have Sandman's face on there. But right. then on the other level, I think it's also saying, uh, let's let's not take this overly seriously. He's right. not really gone. Right. True. True. And I, you know, so, you know, I've, I've, I've heard comic book creators you know, talk and sometimes one of the things they do is that, you know, you, you sort of come up with an image first and then figure out how to tell a story. I mean, obviously DC comics was famous for that with covers. You know, they'd invent a cover, and then figure out how to do a story that in some way vaguely ties to that. You know, I, I, I wonder if someone came up with the idea of what if Sandman, what if he's like a beach and you have, you know, it's a, it, it, it is a pretty compelling image. I mean, it's pure hypothesis, speculation, but I wonder if they sort of someone came up with that ending first. Well, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he if he yeah. came up with maybe not the image, but the right. just the, the idea that he's washed up onto the beach and become right. the beach, right? And and then you know how do I exploit that? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised by that. And I know you know as we've talked about before, you're a story first guy. Yeah. What do you think of the artwork? Well, I like I like Mark Buckingham a lot. Um, he did a lot of work with Fables. I even had him sign a few issues of it for me at a con once. And but what he's doing here is so different from that, from that that uh, you know fantasy uh, genre. Here he's doing, I mean, basically code approved body horror, right? The morphing of Sandman's body as it crumbles from the inside. I, mm-hmm. I think that I think that that definitely got across the horrific aspects of what Sandman was going through that and his first person narration. I I think those two things wedded well together. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Uh, I think the cover, the cover gives me an image of almost, uh, was it, 
I don't know if it was the first or the second or whatever, one of the Mummy movies. Uh, oh, right, yeah. When, when they had kind of like a sand thing going. Uh, so it does right. almost have like a horror movie feel to it on the cover. Uh, mm-hmm. And the cover, I think, is very sharp, by the way. I'll throw that in there as yep. well. But the interior art on the images that do not include Sandman, they're very clean, uh, and, and the storytelling is, is you know nicely paced. Uh, I do think that some of the interior art is a little sparse at times, like it could be just a slightly mm-hmm. more detailed, but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty happy yeah. with it. Uh, the images of the Sandman, however, you know, go in serious contrast to that. They're dark, right. they're messy, uh, intentionally so. They, they give me a feeling of, of almost like the Walking Dead comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that's intentional, and I think it, it's well served in this issue because I think it... it it conveys, you know, the the level of horror of what his body is going through. Right. Uh, I'm, so. I'm 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 look, looking at a couple of these, uh, especially er, early on while, while he's watching TV, and it does look distinctly zombie-ish. You know, as the as the sand, the skin is falling off. You know, half of his face. It, you know, falling off or his, sagging. Yeah, re- revealing his his teeth and his jaws and, and those sorts of things, and a and an eye socket. You know, I think that that definitely the, the that horror hor- horrific aspect of it uh, is done is done really well, and it does contrast. You know, I was not necessarily in love with all of the other art. I mean, it's late '90s, 2000 sort of stylings to it, but in this setting, um, um, as 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 you're pointing out, the that almost makes the contrast more stark. Now, in that image that you mentioned, there's, there's a splash yep. page of Sandman watching TV, uh, and I totally get that. And we see the back of the TV. Uh, why is it on fire? I'm not sure if some if he's thrown something at it. If his arm, yeah, that's a that's a fair question. That, that, that that's the one inconsistency like, that I'm that seeing. That distinctly looks like fire, not like something else. So know, it almost not, looks not, like not, he had not. the back of the TV, and rather than draw like details on that. Uh, he put this to kind of block off the area, uh, but it doesn't really seem to to fit. It's a little incongruous to have this this flaming bit of flotsam uh, mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. the TV set. Uh, I think he would have been better served to have the TV just framed a little lower, just big enough so that you know what it is. Maybe even have a set of rabbit right. ears coming out of it or something, right. Right. Just so, something so that you specifically know what it way. is. Right. But, and but, the yeah. The uh, that the the story title Days of Our Lives. I wasn't able to work this into the synopsis, but that story title is worked into the story a couple of times. You know, in including in this uh, obviously in the soap opera that he's that he's watching. You know, that sort of frames frames the concept of the the soap opera of his life. I ne- I've never watched Days of Our Lives, but I am familiar with it enough to know that the opening of it said uh, like sand through the hourglass so go the days of our lives so there is some some connection there yes good yeah i i I had not thought of that one i just thought of it as a classic soap opera but you're right you're right it has that sand imagery built into it uh i don't i mean i assume this they're building up some sort of romance here between randy and glory uh but uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure if that goes anywhere or what. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with that, with that part of the storyline. But you know, you need to take a break as they uh, uh, 
Michael Bailey sometimes say all subplots accounted for. Yeah, yeah, they had to give. I guess you know they didn't really have to give a subplot in this issue, other than I think for the purposes that you said, you give a little comic relief before you get you know before you start getting heavy. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, this this could have been an entirely self-contained story with no subplots. Right. Uh, you know, the one thing that that irks me a little bit is they have the uh, the mention of you know why he's falling apart that he was bitten by venom, uh, but they don't tell you wh- wh- you know what issue that happened in, and that that bothers me. Where's my asterisk? Where's my asterisk? Yeah, exactly. What tell what me, possible reason can they have work. to not put that in there? True. So, uh, I don't know. You have any other uh, points on this? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The uh, the uh, the old fat guy at the end on on, on the beach. Yes. You know, every, well, anytime I see a bald person in comics, I, is that Brian Michael Bendis? I know sometimes <laughs> so, this might be too early. I, I don't know, but was Brian Michael <laughs> Bendis a? Uh... Was was he heavy set? I don't remember. Maybe it's him. I'm thinking of at least the face, with the the, the bald head and the goatee. It's almost right. so 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 specific. You wonder if it's someone. Oh, it definitely it definitely could be someone. But I, I remember Bendis as being, you know, a little bit more slim. So yeah. I, I don't think it would be him. <laughs> could be. <laughs> so. uh, rating. Well, uh, the cover, uh, I agree with you. I, I give it credit for being reflective of what's in the story. Um, and horror, and, and you're, you're probably right, a mummy reference. Yeah, I seem to remember there sort of being a sandstorm that then sort of a face comes out of that. And I think it's either uh, tapping into the same idea or, or a, you know, a re- reference to that, but certainly uh, uh, it's, it's, it's that concept. Um, so I think for what it's trying to be, it's fine. Um, you know, maybe a B, B on the cover. Uh, art, like I said, I really like uh, Mark Buckingham, and I do think the morphing, the pseudo horror, again, the, again, the uh, uh, Comics Code Authority uh, version of a sand-based zombie story. Um, I think that really works. I think it's it's certainly dramatic. Uh, occasionally uh, horrific um, that might be a B B plus uh, the story uh, interesting delivered it uh, pretty well and it actually came to an end not enough comics do that these days so B B minus I mean I think everything was levels of above average so somewhere in the B to low B range but as have to reveal in the interest of full disclosure, like I said, we are recording this during the summer, so I may be a little out of practice in terms of assigning grades to things. <laughs> it's it's been a couple months. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I think the cover is really striking. Actually, I, I'm going to say it's not quite an A, but it's a B plus to me. Uh, and and for some reason I'm just noticing now as I'm looking at it the fact that the you know, the hazy sand image of Sandman's face is obscuring the title of the book, uh, oh, which, right. which is kind of cool. I, I kind of like that as well. Uh, 
the interior art I think is solid and I think it conveys, you know, the things we talked about, but I don't think it's quite as striking to me. Again, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, it's a little lacking detail. And, you know, as you said, late 90s, early 2000s uh, styles, stylings, which are not totally to my uh, wheelhouse. Right. But it's 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 very. I think it's very well done. I think the contrast with Sandman is really good. So I'm going to say just a straight out B on that. Uh, the story probably would be a C plus just for being mm-hmm. entertaining, except for the fact that I am seeing the layers of what I think is uh, poignancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to say a B on the story as well. And overall, I'm going to give the book a solid B, bordering on a B plus. Good. After seeing the book that Professor Allen picked. I decided to try and go with a theme, and I picked The Sandman, number one, uh, from December of 1974, written by Joe Simon and penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Mike Royer. And uh, this was a book I had picked up as a kid, and I I seem to remember, and, you know, it's a vague memory, but I seem to remember really liking it and having my brother say, that book is stupid. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's got an image on the front. It's it's. Uh, and, to- and wait, and go ahead. And as, and as a guest, Paul's brother. <laughs> oh wait, he's not. What all that build up, and he's not on the show. I can pretty much guarantee you, he will have no memory of this. <laughs> but uh, the the cover image is of the Sandman front and center, and he's got a somewhat garish yellow and red costume uh, with a, you know, mostly, most of the body is yellow except for the gloves, uh, the trunks and the boots and the mask has, uh, you know, a a red cowl with yellow uh, border and then the uh, red eye covering and a big red cape. Uh, so it's 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 not really one of Kirby's best design costumes, I don't believe. Uh, he's he's kind of coming front and center towards you. Then in the background, uh, all you know, bathed in blue, uh, we see uh, images of Sandman's two. Uh, I'm going to just put in quotations helpers, uh, <laughs> as well as a villain from the book and a mechanized uh, creature that's used, uh, and then. Down at the bottom, we see a young boy uh, sleeping, and apparently this is his nightmare above us. Uh, the f- cover says, first DC issue, a Simon and Kirby special. And it says, he's back, the man who brought you all those wonderful stories and horrible dreams, the Sandman. Which, having he's back on a first issue, which introduces a character, <laughs> seems a little strange to me. But, you know, be it, it is what it is. Uh, my desire... Uh, as usual, is to be as lazy as possible and to read a synopsis from the wiki page. But the wiki synopsis sucks. I'm going to read that first, and then I'm going to actually tell you what happens in the story. Uh, The synopsis, the story is called General Electric, and the synopsis is, when a boy named Jed Walker has a strange dream of a drowning man who appears in reality to give him an evil little doll, it spurs the Sandman to emerge from the dream stream into the real world to stop the plans of General Electric. Okay, you want to do ratings now? <laughs> I mean, that really tells you nothing of what happens in the story other than, like, incredibly bare bones. Yeah. And so, if there's anything that Kirby and Simon are not, they are not bare bones. Really. 
So the story does actually open in a dream sequence where this young boy is is dreaming and he's you know you see water just going you know uh, torrenting with a boat and then there's a man in the water and he's holding this green and purple doll and he's saying help save me uh, air precious air can't breathe which is what I would say if I was drowning uh, and the boy is having this nightmare and he's call- he's calling out can't breathe which wakes up his grandfather. Uh, his grandfather tells him it's only a dream, but the kid puts on his uh, his rain gear and heads out to find this guy who's actually in the water. While this is going on, the Sandman is, is watching on monitors, uh, and he's trying to push the awake switch for, for Jed. Uh, and in the background, we see his two, again, in quotations, helpers or henchmen or whatever you want to call them, uh, the brute or just brute. And Glob, Brute is a, you know a big muscular, generic dude, and Glob is a small globby generic dude. <laughs> it's back back to Jed and his grandfather. They pull the guy up out of the water, and he hands uh, Jed a, this doll called a Wurbling, and tells him don't let it fall into their hands, and then he passes away. The grandfather thinks the doll is evil, and. Uh, Wants, wants Jed to get rid of it, but Jed wants it, and the grandfather, you almost feel like a Twilight Zone episode, uh, mm-hmm. where where he's, you know, he's thinking that the doll is mocking him, and you see Jed laying in bed with the doll laying next to him, and it's kind of got a look on its face, like, you know, like a smug look. <laughs> uh, and then meanwhile, the grandfather, or no, Jed is having a dream of the the uh, warbling chasing after the it's, his grandfather, and... Uh, Jed starts falling from a cliff in the in the dream, uh, at which point the Sandman has to insert himself into the dream to catch Jed to keep him from being killed, uh, and then he wakes up in the bed and the grandfather comforts him. The grandfather, when Jed is not a, when Jed is sleeping, says that the doll is is bringing nothing but grief to the house, uh, and he just beats it into pieces. And then takes it out and buries it in the sand. Then we cut to the uh, offices of the evil people who are uh, doing brain experiments. And we have a certain person there, and I'm trying to remember what his name is now. General, oh, the, 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 the villain of the piece is called General Electric, uh, <laughs> who, who is a uh, apparently a... I guess a Japanese, uh, and oh, I should say, all well, this research is apparently in in, in a Japanese uh, forum, and mm-hmm. he's he's somebody who was badly injured in World War II, and they kind of recreated his brain mechanically, so he has a glass dome on his at the top of his head with with a mechanical brain in there, and he's sitting putting together dolls like the Werbling that we already saw. Uh, and they end up having to uh, try and restrain him, and he jumps out of the building. And they said, "Don't shoot! The general's head is priceless." <laughs> and he, he he makes his way out of there. Uh, the uh, the warbling that the grandfather uh, buried is starting to be dug up by a dog, who who once it sees him goes running off. Uh, but this sets off alarms in the Sandman's dream dome. And it's a, it's a, it's a four-alarm four nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> yes. 
I've had uh, a few of those. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, he he decides he has to go and help, but Brood and Glob want to go. They they're asking him to let let them out of their uh, their their enclosures, but he says no. He 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 doesn't uh, need them messing up the situation, and that they're for emergencies only. And he ends up going to Cape Cape Kennedy, where there's an earthquake. He helps rescue some people, uh, and he actually. Uh, Sprinkles some sand, which puts people to sleep. While this is going on, Jed discovers the broken Werbling and, and is trying to uh, fix it. And at that point, uh, he is <laughs> he's accosted by some uh, stereotypical World War II villains uh, in uniform and all, but various different uniforms, so they're probably yeah. from different agencies. Sandman comes over and... and tries to help him, but he gets, uh, I guess he gets hit by a car from behind the way it's drawn. Yeah, with a Jeep. He gets hit from behind, and they have him and, and Jed now uh, all tied up with General Electric ready to uh, stop them from interfering in his mad plans. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the General Electric is going to uh, use all these dolls to blow the city to eternity. And he... Uh, Sandman starts saying he wishes he had his supersonic whistle to release Brute and Glob, uh, but he's helped out unknowingly by one of uh, the, I guess, Nazi uh, criminals who says, What's this in the swine's glove? A whistle. What does it sound like, Hans? It's weird. I never heard sound like it before. Or sound like that, except in my dreams. It's making me sleepy. That releases uh, Brute and Glob, who who come to the uh, lab and release all sorts of, I guess, nightmare creatures, slugs and caterpillars and rodents and the like. Uh, so that then uh, the General Electric doesn't actually see it, but while that's going on, they uh, they release the Sandman. And Glob blows the whistle, which actually causes General Electric's head to uh, shatter. And uh, Sandman saves uh, Jed and heads back to the uh, heads back to the dream area with them, and we're promised stories to come. As as I was saying earlier, as uh, in 1974 when this came out. (laughs) When I was 12 years old or 11, almost 12, whatever it may have been, I thought this was pretty cool. And I don't have like a specific recollection of why, but I suspect I might have thought Brood and Glob were really cool, really cool. (laughs) Uh, And just the idea of, you know, being able to enter into people's dreams is always, I think, a a favorite sci-fi concept that people come up with. It's a... it, it, it is a theme that has been returned to many, many times. So there's some reson, resonance to that for sure. So, but, you know, when I look at it now as an adult, and if we eliminate the, uh, the nostalgia aspect of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the story is kind of weak. Yeah. Uh, the villains are very stereotypical and... Uh, I, I, I'm going to say stereotypical as be, at best and insulting at worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and the artwork is 
it it's later Kirby. It it almost feels a little rushed, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, I think you know th- this is an area where where Kirby would have uh, benefited from having a strong inker. You know, you put Joe Sinnott on this to give right. it that Fantastic Four feeling, and I think it would have been far better than than what it is. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't think he did a particularly strong job of uh, creating a costume for the character, which is something, you know, he's he has excelled at in the past, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, uh, when when you're, uh, you know, when, when when you're accepting the comic book tropes of costumes. Right. You know, there's certain costumes that he came up with that I consider to be spectacular that may not translate into live action well Mm -hmm. uh but for the most part i like most of what he did in early early books uh you know for for whatever reason i'm I'm just thinking of the inhumans a little bit right uh black bolt's costume i think is is gorgeous uh karnak eh, not so much (laughs) you know (laughs) and and it's not that karnak is a bad costume but again i don't think it would translate into live action the same way Uh, i mean this is classic colors you know, red and red and yellow, classic, uh, classic, uh, you know, primary colors, uh, superhero colors, but it's, it 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 all looks a little clunky, some somehow. Gloves. And overly simplistic a lot. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel like there's the, any any part of it that really pops out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a he's got trunks, he's got a boot boots, he's got a helmet, he's got a cape, but. All of those are a little perfunctory, a little expected. Yeah. What do you think of the story? Well, you know, you can watch TV shows now, and you can tell if they were filmed before or after COVID. You know, there's certain tells, how close people are sitting, whether they hug. And, you know, I I think another one of those tells might be whether you blow a whistle that you find in a stranger's pocket. (laughs) <laughs> without using hand sanitizer. This is unacceptable, Paul. Unacceptable behavior. This comic needs to be canceled. Why is it why is it that the first time he blew it it put everybody to sleep, but then when Glob blew it, it blew up General Electric's head? <laughs> well, I mean obviously, uh obviously it's clear if you um because of um uh comics. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's it's. I'd I'd love to be able to give you like a detailed critique, uh, and and some deep analysis on this. But there's really it, it is uh, a fairly simple story. I think, again, just trying to think of like what would have been more enticing to me. Well, first of all, I was younger, so I would have been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I would have been less demanding as far as subtext and that type of thing. Uh, but, I think but, it's, again, it's appealing like because you, of the whole dream right. reality. And the living doll aspect to it is just creepy. And General Electric is weird looking. And how they never got sued for the name, I, whatever. But um, the big companies tend to be litigious. I don't know if you know this, Paul. Um, I've, heard, I've heard rumors to that end. <laughs> it was the 70s. It was a different, it was a different time. So I think there are weird and creepy elements. It does not hold together as a story because of the weird and silly elements. But 
1974? How, how, how much did that matter? You know, it's hard to put yourself back in that era, although right now I am a 50-something-year-old person reading this. So I do have yeah, to, I, I, I I do have to we, take it as, uh, as I find it. That is something we always need to take into account, is that these books were not written for people of our uh, age and background at this point. If you look at the artwork actually, in it... Actually, Paul, let, let me disagree with you. This book was exactly written for me. I was eight at the time. Yeah, well, I, yes, <laughs> I understand exactly that. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about present day you. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> you know, years have gone by, and you've probably reached a mental age of ten or twelve by now. Thirteen, buddy. Thirteen. Uh, if you look at the artwork as you go along, it appears to me, and you got to keep in mind, Kirby at this point was, I don't even know what he did this particular month, but he was very prolific and putting out a lot of. Uh, books in general uh, and it looks to me like as we get further into the book the artwork looks a little bit more and more rushed mm, the further yeah. we go especially the very last page which uh, the inking on it looks sloppy to me mm -hmm. so you know I, I, I love Kirby's work and I, I kneel at his altar uh, but just the same, this is not his strongest thing. Uh, I, I no longer own a physical copy of this particular book, uh, mm -hmm. but if I saw it in my $2 range, or, or actually, do I own this? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> uh, but if I saw it in my $2 range, I'd pick it up in a heartbeat, even yeah, though I've I don't seen, think it's his strongest. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I was trying to remember if, I, if I've ever owned this or had a version of it. I would think if I once did, I still would, and and I don't, so... Maybe we we never had it, but that the cover is so distinctive. I don't know whether I've flipped through it, I've seen it, I've whether it was house ads or whatever it was that I I have a you know a deep uh, a deep seated remembrance of that of that cover. Whether I've seen one live and in person or owned one or or whether that's memories from you know a few years ago. Now the uh, clear, clearly they weren't sure what they were going to do with this. I think he just, I think he, he and he and Simon threw this together on a whim uh, because it's it's the cover date on it is winter issue, right? Uh, and I believe there was about five or six months before the next issue came out, right? So it I was first it was first issue special before there was first issue special. Well, it even has the first you know, DC that, issue that, little that, thing on yeah, the cover that, that looks right. first issue special, like. But I don't think right. this. I don't think this predates first issue special. I think it does. Seventy uh, four. I think it does by a couple of years. I'm gonna take a look at that as we speak. But uh, you know, I I I, th I think it was all right. This sold well. You could do another issue. Right. I, I, I don't, but I don't think they had that necessarily planned from no. the start. It was May of 75 when the next issue came right. out. Wow. And first issue special is covered. Yeah, we have uh, actually April of 1975 is the first issue. So mm -hmm. you, you are correct, sir. I stand corrected. Or actually, I sit corrected with my broken appendage. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's right around the same time, it's, it's, essentially. It's, it's, but this it's did, obviously did that out. concept. Yeah, it's, and it's, it would make sense awesome. if they had made this an issue of first issue special because they didn't know if they were going to do any more anyway. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe this is even what gave them the idea to do first issue yeah. special. <laughs> yeah. 
It was the it was the the tryout book, the tryout version for that book. Yeah, or, or tryout, like, the gate. tryout book for a tryout book. Because <laughs> if I remember right, the first few issues of first issue special were Kirby. Yeah. Stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, no, actually, well, the first issue was Atlas. That's definitely Kirby. Then they had the green team that was not. Metamorpho, I think, was not. Lady Cop was not. Manhunter was. The Dingbats ding were. I think yeah. those were Kirby silliness. And of course, Warlord is, I think, issue eight. Yeah, and that would be uh, Mike Grell. I, and I, I did own a copy of that at the time, which I no longer own, which mm. mm-hmm. is probably a very bad thing for me. <laughs> Anyway, back to uh, Sandman. Uh, I got I got to try and remove myself from nostalgia mm-hmm. to rate this one, and that's gonna not not bode well for Mr. Kirby's uh, <laughs> ratings because I think the cover it's like the co- the colors pop on the cover, but the image doesn't. Mm. Um, it's it's striking, but when you start looking at it closely the image of the Sandman isn't really as well drawn as I would like. And part of that has to do with the fact that I just don't like the costume that he came up with. The images in the background that are bathed in the blue light, I think those all look pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. So overall, I'm just going to give it a C plus, which I think is, you know, a low rating for a Kirby cover. Um, The interior art, as I said, it's almost like a, a tale of two, styles or a tale of two uh, outputs because the initial art for the first couple of pages looks fairly sharp to me and then as it goes on it looks less and less detailed and, and more you know thick lines and muddy looking uh, so you know rating it on a whole uh, it, it, it's sort of like the front of the book I'd probably give a solid B and the, the rest of the book I might give a C minus. So I'm going to give it a C plus. I figure, you know, that kind of balances it out. Uh, and the story is silly, but it plays on emotions that a kid would like mm-hmm. as evidenced by this kid having liked it. So I'm going to say a B on the story and overall I'll give the book a C plus. So here's the thing, Paul, and I, I am, tying in my actual my actual job requirements here. There are times you're grading papers. You read two papers. You know one of them's better than the other. And then you have to go through and try to figure out why. And with a clear conscience, I cannot give this a lower grade than the Spider-Man book. Because the Spider-Man book was fine, but this is Jack Kirby. Come on, 70s. This is... And so... And I read it, and I enjoyed this when I read it. And so I I had to come up with an excuse (laughs) to grade this higher than I graded the one before. Because I do think it's better. Um, And I think part of that is... And I'm not necessarily an art guy, as you know, but Kirby is one of the exceptions to that. Because he's so weird. He's so distinctive. You know, I, I I don't know if I like Kirby because I like Kirby or I like Kirby because he's one of the literally handful of artists that I can actually recognize in, instantly. Now, we, we, we've talked about that about that before. Uh, my 
lack of ability to distinguish artists or maybe my lack of effort in trying to learn uh, learn how to uh, learn how to do that so kirby is is one of the fellows i like because uh um, because i can recognize him instantly and there are very few people uh, in that category and on this cover again i totally recognize it i've seen it a million times it's almost the definition of iconic to me the costume's not great but I think it does it does it does pop a little bit to me. I kind of like the silliness of the 3D old school 3D sort of Sandman logo. I'm given the cover an A, maybe an A minus. Um, yeah, interior art again. First few pages are A's. The nightmare sequences, the dreams. When when it gets into dealing with. The scientists and the police officers, you know, it's 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 less good. But to me, the art overall, maybe a B plus, A minus. Your dreams are supposed to look like Kirby drawings, and nightmares especially. So I thought this was at least conceptually the 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 idea of, sort of you know, with this with this story we can let we can let Jack go crazy. Um, look. The story wasn't great. It was strange. And I'm not sure it made sense. Oh, I should say, it's not that I'm not sure it made sense. I'm sure it didn't make sense. But it's a dream. Does it Does it have to make sense? And supersonic whistle to the rescue? I mean, come on. But the stories is C+, plus, B-. Minus. But overall, high B, B+, plus maybe. I wasn't sure what to expect. Kirby and Simon doing work in the 70s. It, it, it could be out there, and this was out there, and maybe I was able to tap into eight-year-old pre-Professor Allen. See, I picture you at eight this. years old and having the other kids call you Professor. <laughs> well, look, sometimes you just need patches on your tweed jacket, even when you're eight, okay? There you go. Don't judge me. <laughs> So I may have been biased going into this, but I like this one. Oh, by all means. And if I were rating this as 11, almost 12-year-old Paul, uh, I think I would give it A's all around. <laughs> I thought about that. So, you know, you, you got to take it from where, where it comes sometimes. All right, so that'll do it for our books for today for our Sandman episode. Ooh. Uh... <laughs> Thanks is gonna be, is, 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 so now are 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 you going to hold this until there's a Sandman movie so we can make it a just make it a score make it a score <laughs> I think I think I'm going to pass on that okay, Sandman good. has appeared uh, at least the Peter true. Parker Sandman has appeared That's in the true. movies um, just just by way of background it, we're we're recording this relatively early in the day. Uh, and if we were a little later in the day, we would have had Emily on with us to do mm -hmm. a, uh, a Neil Gaiman Sandman issue. Yep. So uh, because we needed to do this early, we all lose. <laughs> that is true on many counts. <laughs> so, but thanks for coming on, Alan. We, you know, we, we do appreciate, appreciate you as our second favorite Middleton. <laughs> yeah, I'm most people's third favorite Middleton, so that's only because you haven't met my wife. So uh, yes, once, once I meet her in person, then she she will surpass you. <laughs> it is always a pleasure to speak speak with you, Paul, and to 
and to uh, to head back to the bins. Thanks so much. And keep an eye out for, if you don't already listen to the Quarter Bin podcast, you should. But if you don't want to take that as your, uh, you know, as, as a directive, if you don't want to, if you don't want to listen to high quality uh, podcasts, uh, you certainly want to seek it out when episode 175 comes on. Because exactly. I will be there. <laughs> and so thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will catch you next week. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. But, um... <laughs> Uh, ba 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 ba. What was I saying?